My name's Luke Campbell and I work for a small wine company. He's Luke Morris and he works for a big wine company. And together... Don't force that down. I might not be here for that much longer, man. (laughs) We are Luke's Talk Wine. We're talking all things wine and booze today and we'll touch on some popular culture. Think when to drink, why we drink it, and the culture that surrounds drinking. Hello, Luke. G'day, Campbell. What's what's happening? What's, What's floating your boat? Are you, are you Mate, on a boat um, that's surrounded by a sea of wine and you, you, you want to drink it, but it's too salty because it's, I don't know. <laughs> Where are you going with this, Luke Morris? No, I'm oh, not no. on a floating boat surrounded by wine. I am somewhat discombobulated. I'm, I'm a little bit um, inside out and upside down today because we're not filming in our regular slot. But good afternoon, good evening, good night <laughs> to the listeners, wherever you are and whenever you are listening. Whether you're jogging, oh, whether, you're drinking, right, goodbye. whether you're whether you're sitting, um, but we are here tonight for gee, season four, season four, episode four, Luke Morris. I always get I these episodes know, wrong. But... Yeah, that's your job. <laughs> but we are back. Um and it's been it's it's, it's been a, a a little bit of a swing between you and I are getting together, actually. Um, but there's been a little bit going on all the same. So today, what have we got, uh, Luke Morris? What? Or that's my job, isn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah, no, you, you tell me what's happening. So today, yes, exactly. <laughs> so welcome to Luke's Talk Wine. I'm your host, Luke Campbell. And today, today's episode is devoted to uh, a, a great friend of ours, actually, who's recently passed. And we mentioned this friend, uh, colleague, mentor of ours, mutually in our very, very first episode. And so this episode is devoted to Mick Nippard. Mick um, had a great influence on both of us, actually. And uh, we, we'll touch on our thoughts on, on Mick and uh, the life of Mick in a joyous way, just briefly soon. But also today, I've got a listener question. We check back in on what are factually Australia's favourite varieties because we've actually got the facts. Um, we've got the actual data. And um, without data, you're just a flog without with an opinion. So we've actually gone and got <laughs> the data for you. We've got some list of questions for you. And I want to reiterate our favourite, and I say our loosely, yours, Luke Morris, and mine, Luke Campbell, descriptor words, our four top descriptor words for wine. And this is kind of helping you helping the vocabulary, broadening your vocabulary when it comes to wine. It's something that comes up a lot. We've touched on, I think we did 10 or 12 descriptors, wines, our favourites earlier, not in this season, but maybe midway through last season. And as every week, check in on what's been happening with you, Morris. We had a a lunch not long ago, which uh, you... um couldn't make do you want to explain why you couldn't attend the the the, the lunch for mick yes i had uh the most awful experience in the fact that i uh was having a little bit of a, a busy morning with 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 kids and uh, my gorgeous wife and car and friends and i'd popped out to the shops to no i'd pop, I popped out actually to pick up one of my sons from sport go via the shops and I thought, I'll do my wife a solid and I'll fill her car up with fuel. The vinified oh. van is diesel and our home car 
is in fact unleaded. And I got to the service station doing my wife a solid and completely filled up her unleaded uh, car with a full tank of diesel. Driving uh, off. Oh, you started driving. Okay. <laughs> yeah, to driving. I literally drove, you know, about four meters out of the out of the service station. And I relayed the conversation that I just had with the service station clerk in my head. And I thought, oh, yikes. I have just put diesel in an unleaded vehicle. So I stopped, rang a man about a dog, and he came and fixed it up four hours later. Um, I had missed my lunch. I had missed yeah. any time with my family and also oh. my friends. Mick, oh. however, who the lunch was in aid of, would have laughed and he just would have gone, <laughs> oh, Campbell. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, was a very, it was a very expensive, yeah, he would have got you dickhead. <laughs> um, it was a very expensive mistake. Uh, but moreover, I was devastated about missing the lunch, which was uh, devoted to Mick and, and Mick's passing with his brothers. Did it, did it go well? Yeah, it went really well. Yeah, it was lovely. Um, a couple of Mick's brothers came along and they brought the first wine of the day. Um which was a Forbes and Forbes, which I discovered is no relation to Mac Forbes. Um, mm. But obviously, you know, just because the last names are similar and I just, you know, my name's Luke Morris and I'm in no relation related to the um, the Rutherglen Morris family. But uh, uh, so it can happen, Luke Campbell. Uh, but yes. uh, yep. uh, that, that brought, they brought a sparkling Shiraz. Uh, no, it wasn't. It was a sparkling red, but it was... Like a Cabernet Merlot Cab Franc, I think, was the blend. Yeah. And we talked about how Sparking Red, Mick, Mick liked it. Um, and it was one of those wines that only real people into wine sort of appreciate. Yep. Because I don't, I don't know what it is. It seems to have a, a, a stigma of uh, old man's drink, I guess. But... Uh, that can be said about most wines, to be honest with you. Most, most you know, True. sherry or port or... Um, Cabernet. Cabernet. Riesling. Um, well, yeah, I was going to say Riesling because the next wine was a German Riesling. And that is, um, I suppose you and I probably have both s stories about Mick's influence. <laughs> I think Mick had a huge influence on German Riesling love in uh, in Victoria, at least. Yeah. But what's, what's, do you have any tales? You're laughing, so I assume you have some sort of tale. I, I, I am laughing, actually, because you, you say Mick had a huge influence on German Riesling in Victoria. I would go one more to say Mick had a huge influence on German Riesling in Germany because um, when I started working after Mick, uh, where we all worked together many years ago in a land far, far away, or I, I couldn't uh, do a stock take without finding some Riesling that had been stuffed somewhere underwater <laughs> or in a box behind something or above something. And the, 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 the retort always was, oh, yeah, that was where Mick used to put his Riesling. Oh, yeah, that was Mick's Riesling. Oh, yeah, Mick loved him. Riesling. Yeah. Well, well, Mick was hiding all these Rieslings, God bless him, so he could either uh, purchase them for his cellaring later or or yeah. when he had some money, he would go back and buy them. And invariably, he, he either never did go back and buy them or they were just there, um, not on the stock tape because 
at one stage or another Mick was going to buy said Riesling and uh, not that we didn't have enough Riesling in the, in the shop already, but, uh, <laughs> it, 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 it was uh, they were hidden in all corners of the, the shop uh, and it just used to make me laugh because I did enjoy a Riesling after I'd come back from overseas and then started working at the shop but I I must admit, I didn't have the love and I wouldn't have the love of Riesling today if it wasn't for Mick. And Mick was really big on the uh, the Germans, obviously, but not just Mosul. It'd be wines from the Rheinhessen or... Um, I mean, you, you had lunch with him recently when he came back yeah. um, and he bought a wine from the Rheinhessen, didn't he? Oh, yeah. No, I can't remember all the details of that wine, but I do remember it was some declassified... Uh, German Riesling that Lewenstein maybe that hadn't um, the, the one of those classic things where the winemakers just decided that uh, thumb his nose at the establishment and make something excellent without following all the 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 the, uh, the they don't have a DOC. What's the what's the control system they have in Germany? Oh, yeah, the um, the VQA or whatever. VQA, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so you just made something that was outstanding. And uh, I suppose in in some worlds you could do that and lose all of your money because you lose the accreditation and people don't buy your wine. But in this case, uh, the, the the wine has doubled, quadrupled, tripled in value because you know it was it was a case in point of making something that was. Unique, and you had, and, you, and it was a strange thing. Like to mix testament, he'd taste the wine and go, "Gee, that's good," and it would that would go beyond. Is it cabinet? Is it a spat lace? Is it you know? Does it come from this vineyard, this region? He was able to pick it, yeah. and, and and that sort of quality shone through. And it was it was it was a rare skill because. So many people. I mean, it's it's just a natural thing to to drink with confidence, but that confidence is sort of influenced by label or vintage or winemaker or something. Whereas he really could do it blind. He the, the further further to that, you know, he could pick the wine, he could pick it blind, but he had this. V vernacular like it was more oh. than vocab he had a wine vernacular which just broke it, it immediately put you at ease but it broke down yeah. any barriers that had to do with with wine or misconceptions and allow you to identify with it there was the vernacular was one thing it was um it was pretty amazing like and yeah well, well played mick like that's something he really passed on to me the the, the power of that the, the verbiage and the words and how you described it was most important yeah 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 he had a very casual there was a very some there was a term there was a lot of he used a lot of australian jingoisms yeah. silly not billy and um uh no it's billy not silly you you'd, you'd, you'd refer to something if he if he, if he got a question right and you know, we know we know chicken dinner if he loved it if he loved the wine. <laughs> you know, these these silly slang things that just cut through the bullshit. Yeah. And that was great. And that's that's I, I think that was one of those rare things because he, he didn't put up with a lot of wine bullshit. <laughs> there was a no, there, no there wine was bullshit. A, there was a tale 
there was a tale told at the um, funeral where he uh, he apparently was served a um, it's an extremely popular Chardonnay from um, New Zealand. I th it's one of those uh, oyster. Oh, I think it was Oyster Bay Chardonnay. Yeah. And somebody brought it along to a, a dinner he was at, and they gave him a glass, and he put it in his mouth, and then he left the his house and and spat out and spat out in the street, and said he didn't want to he didn't want to ruin his uh, good pipes with that wine. <laughs> by spitting it out into the into his sink, and the person apparently left upset, and he said to his brother, saying, "Was I too harsh? What did I? What was wrong?" Because he just saw that as the truth. He wasn't going to mess around. He really didn't like it, and that was just. And as long as you took his his truth with you know the honesty that it was presented with, yeah. You know, he was he was your best friend. You know, he <laughs> he, he liked it if you said, "Well, I really like it." He's like, "Well, that's okay. You can do you can you can like your Coca Cabana, Shiraz, <laughs> all by yourself. I don't have to drink it." But he wasn't going to mess around and you know pretend. No, he wasn't. And more power to you, wherever you are, listeners today or tonight. Uh, next time you have a glass of Riesling, cheers, Mick Nifar, because he was a dead set legend and he had a great influence on us here at luke's talk wine I'll, I'll quickly cycle through two of the other wines at the dinner because we yeah um one and the lunch one was um uh chablis grand cru chablis yeah that was very interesting that was that was much more richer than i was expecting i think we had a discussion about um chablis normally being very mineral and and unoaked and i'm pretty sure this grand cru had seen um uh, some oak treatment, which is one of those was things it, that you don't. Was it a Grand Cru Leclos by chance? Ooh, no, it's Jean Marc Brochard. Brochard, yeah, Jean Marc Brochard, yeah. And uh, well, I think that's the vineyard Belle de Sierre. Belle de Sierre, yeah. So, yeah. which is a, 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 a Grand Cru starting with V. Which is the amalgamation of two Latin words shortened to the Valley of Desire, and yeah, so it's high. It's further up north on the Grand Cru Hill, and yeah, it'll um, depending on the producer, John Mark Brockhard doesn't really. I don't. I can't recollect whether he uses oak or not. But Vaudezier is famous for that kind of orange oil, lemon leaf, orchard fruit richness rather than you know like your honey and beeswax type richness from the wood uh, i don't know if he uses oak or not but yeah it would have been a nice wine yeah we actually yeah there was a few pun few of us at the table thinking it might have been an aged semion to be honest with you it didn't Ooh. really have a character of um like we said that that classic chablis it wasn't classic chablis but it was a good one really good one um yeah and the other one that was that's brought to the table in honour of Mick, uh, 2005 Windory Shiraz. Um, Ooh, classic. Classic. As, uh, that was one of those wines that Mick absolutely uh, loved, respected um, the history of. And, and every every conversation I had with Mick about Windory was uh, whenever one was we were thinking of opening one, it was, that's too soon. So... <laughs> Uh, 2005 for that was probably too soon in mixed book and same for me, but, uh, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't, I could have bought a Riesling, but I thought I'd bring something like that. Yeah. Well, well, well played, mate. It sounds like you did it well. That's fantastic.
yeah, no, and many good stories. So, uh, and, and I'm mindful that a lot of the listeners probably don't know Mick Nippard, but if you, uh, uh, he was very, he never, the thing I loved about him was he pretty much did nothing without passion. And he, he was one of those few people that seemed to just follow what he was really keen on. And he, he I remember there was a story told about how he, he laughed with someone about how they weren't probably going to make any money following doing what they were doing but gosh they were going to have fun and enjoy it and he was he epitomized that he was he was great <laughs> well played well played hi this is luke morris from luke's talk wine i've written some books so visit lukemorrisha.com.au go there see the books buy one support the podcast that's lukemorrisha.com.au L-U-K-E M-O-R-R-I-S-H-A dot com dot A-U. Have a great day. Mate, the, we were talking in regards to Mick, but also this week's topic, it's a perfect segue. And that is descriptor words. What what are, what are four, uh, yeah. des, four descriptor words? We don't have to go down the whole track again of vocab and the best words or whatever. But what are four words that you like in rela- in re- relation with Mick in mind, I guess, but v- <laughs> vernacular, vernacular or vocab? What are your four go-to wines for describing wines, and how can we help the listeners by giving them uh, broadening their vocab? Ah, uh, to be honest with you, I don't think there's the the, the words are probably not that creative. Because if you just want to be, if you just want four touchstone words that you can apply to almost every situation, there's things like length, I guess. Yeah. You're looking about how how long that that wine lasts on the palate, and that's that's. There's lots of crude ways that can be applied, but you know you can see length is in a way that that might equate to um, aging potential and and quality and all that sort of stuff. Um, Suppose aromatics. If you start looking at if you if you really you know great aromatics. If you just if you just try and pigeonhole something and saying good aromatics, bad aromatics, that sort of thing. That's that's another thing because you know I I don't know about you, Campbell, but if you get a wine that you you don't really have to drink, that you can almost just sit there and smell the bouquet and you can sip on. I mean, that's not. Anyone who's watched Deadwood would know that uh, it's, it's the uh, I, I use the uh, term they use. The dandies would uh, sip on their whiskey, whereas real people would drink it. But uh, you, if you can sip on a um, a wine because the aromatics and everything about it is so so good, that's that's great, isn't it? Yeah, no, that is that that is um, that is great. So there's two. Um, I'd say aromatics and, and length. What, what have you got? What would you fire at? Oh, uh, I'm a I'm a big one, you know. I, I like I'm a bit I'm a big one. Pardon the pun, but I'm famous for using b- big, and, and oh, yeah. it's it's kind of a loose descriptor, really. It's a bad descriptor. I'm famous for using it, but big describes a wine with those massive flavors in your mouth that just takes out sections of teeth with flavor. You know, like. A, a big wine is not necessarily kind of uh, like all about the fruit. It can be 
alcohol as well. Like, and it also can be tannins. Like you could describe mm. a Nebbiolo as being big the same way you could describe a Barossa and Shiraz as being big. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big one for, for using, <laughs> for using that. I uh, okay. <laughs> uh, the, the other one, like. <laughs> just which, imagining now. Big bird is actually tannin bird. You know. the, the other one is um like like you you, you see it it, it kind of gets overused I think but again I use a, a little bit like um if I just think something's complete and just you, you just can't get away from it I use stonking which is a <laughs> uh, Scottish slash British term. <laughs> For that all-encompassing, just just bloody great. It just ticks every box. This is a stonkingly good wine. Um, you know, it's, oh, it's not gonna... a technical. It's not a technical term, but it's good. It's good to have in your verbiage there. Um, oh, yeah. There are a couple that's, that I like. That's probably more on the on the non-cliched Mick um, Nippard side of uh, words. <laughs> I've never heard him use stonking, but um, that would be the that'd be the style of thing. Um, yes, I'm, yes, I'm, yes. I'm, I'm actually, you know, now you say that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, parry back with uh, elegance. Oh I, yes. I'm not, I'm not big on big and stonking because I, uh, I, and I respect where you're coming from. Don't worry about that. Yeah. But mm. I think if a wine's got elegance, that's, I, I love to see that. You know, it, it, it puts some. Whenever I, I think whenever I use that, you know, I put people off. Because yeah. they they don't they think that means it hasn't got power or robustness or anything, but I think if it's got that elegance to it, it just means it has more poise. It's not it's not it's it's the velvet steamroller as opposed to the the bricky's sledgehammer. You know. Yeah, elegance is that. Um, elegance is like the retired ballerina who puts that kind of fat and sassy cheerleaders shame like you, you, i don't know if i can say fat i don't know podcast, what you mean by but, that but i'm, I'm well, intrigued i want to yeah, like, visuals yeah. on this what's, what's yeah that? so you know if you think about that elegant ballerina you know that it, yeah. that it, it, it is fine and everything is proportioned but then if you think about one of those american cheerleader that there's muscles oh. on top of muscles in the wrong spot and uh, you know, and they've got a bit of sass and they're out there shouting, give me a, give me an L, give me a U, give me a K, okay, give me okay. an E, like, yeah. whereas the ballerina is fine. And, you know, so that is elegance in the truest form. Um, what else? Another, another term you might get and you might hear a lot, um, complex or complexity. I hate uh, that. It's a good, uh, put it it's in a, the bin. Uh, put it in I, the bin. I, I'm. I hate. I shouldn't. Hate's a very strong word. I'm with you there. I don't agree with its use, but it's a verb, or it's actually not a verb because it's not a doing word. But you do hear it a lot. But I was about to say along your line there, Luke Morris, is g give it away. I, I think throw complexity out and describe what it is. Like, yeah. I, I think this complexity can be a bit of a a cop-out unless you describe how complex it is. It's complex because it's got layers of wood and touches of smoke. It's complex because it's got stonkingly good acid. Like, I, I think we have to oh, yeah. describe the complexity instead of using complex as an overarching term. Um, 
And then the other one I lean on a little bit, uh, which I do like, is flesh and fleshy. You know, it, it that, you know, having a piece of raw steak in your mouth is really fleshy, like a McLaren oh, okay. Bale Grenache. A McLaren Bale Grenache could be fleshy. Like if you think about those great, you know, late 80, early 90s, um, Darrenberg, you know, GMS blends and stuff like that, they were fleshy. Um, okay, okay. Because I, I usually say meaty for that kind of thing. Well, it's probably the same sort of thing. Exactly. This exactly, yeah. Meaty, fleshy. Because um, you can you can use you can use fleshy for white wines too. If something said yeah, absolutely like a, a Chardonnay that's seen it's in. Oh, I was just thinking of skin contact, but that can happen. Yeah, definitely, sure. Why not skin contact Chardonnay? Yeah. But it's something that's got that. Um, there's 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 more more weight to it than than your uh, acids. The, yeah, the zippy, zippy. There's a word for you. Woof. Zippy, yeah. Oh. Zippy, zippy gets a run. Zippy's in my um. Zippy's in my vocab. How, how would you articulate zippy? Like use zippy oh, for me. I haven't used it for a long time. I just thought of it now. Zippy yeah. is like uh, that. It is it is a line and length kind of uh, fast bowler, quick off the turf, sort of just goes boom straight down. There's no twists. There's no turns. It's like yeah. it's when you drink something, particularly now you're talking about Rieslings and um, uh, I want to say Semillon, young Semillons, and yeah. maybe some some Chardonnays as well, and maybe even some um, champagnes. That's just that's just sort of just hit the palate and just go boom straight through. You know, you're not getting that boredness on the palate. You're just going boom down through to the keeper, straight straight through straight through the bowler, misses misses the stumps. There's not a lick of wood on there. Just goes straight through to the keeper, and <laughs> uh, that might sound like a negative because something goes through the keeper is uh, <clears throat> it's, it's not always the most positive thing. You 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 want to get a nick on there somewhere, but um, nah, I think it just shows that line that that poise that length. Yeah, good one. So fleshy, aromatics, yeah. stonking, length, complexity, zippy. What was the first one you said? Oh, I said length. That was my first one. Length. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there are a couple of terms there, which are words and descriptors, which will help you, um, you know, enunciate uh, your 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 wine, enunciate wines along the journey, and it, they're pretty important. I think, you know, if you start utilizing a few different terms in your journey, um, your experience will go up. It'll open up a few doors. And just listen to other people's descriptors and vocab, uh, as Luke Morris and I did with Mick all those years ago. No. Um, your vocabulary gets expanded quite quickly. Now, I've got something for you, and I wanted to continue this conversation. We on our last episode, season two, uh, season four, episode two. We discussed, is Shiraz <laughs> finished or is Shiraz back? And your point of view, which was a very astute one, was that it's never left. And I said something along the lines of, oh, rubbish. It, you know, you know, we've, we've moved on, you know, other wines are here, Pinot's back. And you went, uh-uh-uh. And you very diligently went and did some research for the show and you, you've come back. And I just want to discuss this little graphic today because um, of what, 
is the most popular wine styles commercially we're talking now um across the way because i said i think i said you know i've I've personally had a renaissance into grenache and you know and and here at vinified people are drinking pinot pinot and more pinot and you said no way it's got to be 100 (laughs) shiraz it's got to be shiraz and blends and i went no 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 well you've done the research so what do you or you're out because you know the answer but listeners (laughs) i wonder what you might think how this little graphic that we've got looks because this is i was blown away by this can you see this graphic luke morris or do you remember it uh i vaguely remember it um so the story within that graphic obviously is that that so that is drawn uh i guess i hope legally on this no no we'll put it on the um on the Instagram, we'll and it's in just yeah, yeah. it's just a breakdown of percentages, so it doesn't give any kind of volume and uh, too much away. Just just in terms of what percentage demand is for each break for idol. Yeah, and it keeping in mind that this is only through one business, even though it's a big business. Um, yeah, the, the what was it over. Fifty percent of all wines sold through here is um, Shiraz, and so I think seven point two. Yeah, I think some of that ha- will have to do with the fact that, um, and I'm, I'm just looking at I'm just looking up some statistics now, and I can really drill down, down a bit later on this. But um, Shiraz is the most widely planted grape varietal, and so through where I work, where we have you know, people effectively, this is like a um, uh, warehouse clearance centre. People have mm. need to clear clear out something. They they send it through here, and so if the most widely planted grape varietal is Shiraz, it's therefore the most widely vinified, and it's therefore the most it's, it's the one that people at the moment need to have the most stock of, and therefore that's why it's fifty seven percent of wines that are sold and cleared through the warehouse well now it blew me it blew me away yeah, yeah. go on it blew me away no i just i think i and i think i mentioned to you maybe i didn't but i should have that something like pinot noir doesn't come through this kind of channel very much um mm. it's definitely not planted to the same degree as shiraz though so I think it's percentage-wise would be hot in terms of uh, customer consumption uh, across Australia would be higher than what number is it at? What what number was Pinot? The, at? the number here, listeners, is it makes up two point two percent of all produce sold yep. of all the varieties. Yep. Sparkling so white, sparkling white wine, is higher at five point seven percent. Yeah. Grenache. Yeah, yeah. Grenache is higher at four point eight percent. I nearly fell off my chair. Well, see, obviously, with Grenache, that's the that's the connection of Shiraz because you're dealing with uh, the the people who have Grenache in the Borsa, and therefore they're pushing Grenache through to Shiraz drinkers. And as you said, Grenache has gone up, but I, I think I think I think there's there's a lot of lurking variables within that uh, for stats yeah, yeah. people. 
and the one devil's, of those the devil's is, in the detail. Yeah, one of one of those is Pinot Noir. I don't know what percentage of vineyards are grown to Pinot, and obviously Pinot is used in sparkling production, so there's there'll be some of that. But yeah, Pinot is Pinot doesn't really need a warehouse clearance to 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 get rid of it because people are buying it at Saladors. At an alarming rate. The yeah. other thing, the other thing which is pertinent here as well, which might be skewed by where it's being sold, but European styles make up four point three percent, only slightly yeah. higher than Pinot Noir, but albeit not much of the hundred percent, four point three percent. Yeah, was, and I think was... I th I think that's again a reflection of. But that's that's like that's that that would be taking you that would be taking back to the fact that. People interested in European reds might only make up four percent of the Australian market, and you might see it more with the customers you deal with. But I doubt that your customers are very representative of the general Australian market, and and, and nor should they be, to be honest. Mm. No, no. Well, uh, you know the, the 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 time and effort that our members and, and you know lovely customers and, and guests here at Vinify, they they've most of them i won't say all of them but a lot of them have spent time or they're interested in aging wines or, or spent time on their cellars so they have yeah. a particular type of palette um i don't reckon i'll have to survey them i don't reckon they would 57 percent of them would drink shiraz or, <sighs> you know nothing not that there's anything wrong with shiraz i grew up with shiraz blowing oh. throwing through my veins i, I love the shiraz, <laughs> but, um being from the hunter but oh my gosh I, I couldn't get over that the other thing here that was frightening well well frightening i shouldn't say frightening that was that raised my eyebrows was that reasoning boohoo is only 1.9 percent of overall sales yeah, when is reasoning coming back? God damn it! No, never. Do you? I remember every year Jenny Port, God bless her. Every year <laughs> oh, Jenny, Jenny Port would write an article that was reasoning is the is coming back and the reasoning renaissance. Never, yeah, <laughs> never actually happened. No, um, it was uh, it's it's a great grape, but um, and and you know on Luke's talk reasoning, we talk a lot about reasoning. People who care about reasoning are passionate about Riesling. And so yep. that 1.4% or whatever it was, uh, I can guarantee that if I find a good Riesling on the website and I contact my customers and say, you know, ignore these other five or six Rieslings, this is the one you really want, I will definitely get a sale from, from that recommendation because mm. people want to know about good Riesling and they, they get it and they love it. Whereas... Uh, the same can't be said for Grenache or Pinot. Um, not just not to say that, that that there's not people who are passionate about those things, but I I don't have the same certainty that of you know one point four percent of of the database of people I contact really give a shit about that grateful idol more than I think other people do. Yeah, right. Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, it's good. So I'll just do a quick rundown. We will post this on the socials uh, when we get to that, but I'll do a quick down rundown and dispel any myths and misconceptions about what's consumed um, in the general marketplace. So Shiraz is the highest, 57.2. Cabernet. Crazy amount. 
A crazy amount. Cabernet's second, ladies and gentlemen. Cabernet's coming back, I tell you. 12.4%. <laughs> Grenache. Cabernet and, and Cabernet blends. I, I should, I, I'm Cabernet pretty sure that included. Blends. I'm pretty sure I lumped those two together when I was adding the stats. Yeah. At 5.9% comes in uh, aromatic whites, closely followed by sparkling wines at 57 So, so, so again, for the general general listener, what is an aromatic white? What great vitals would you expect to be an aromatic white? Oh, well, there could be, you know, you could have, um, gee, aromatic whites. It shouldn't be different. And we've discussed this on the show before, but aromatic whites, there are several varieties that can be aromatic whites. Um, so if you think of things like, I always like, you know, muskets and stuff like that would be aromatics. Albarinos would be aromatics. Um, Correct, yep. The, the Germans, Gewürz, Tremener, uh, Riesling. <laughs> Ries, I would consider oh. Riesling an aromatic white, but it'd be debatable. Uh, so, yeah, I suppose I gave Riesling its own category. But yeah. I lumped, um, I lumped Sav Blanc, Sem Sav, um, and I can't think of the other Pin, one. Pinot Green, Pinot Grigio. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Pinot Green, Pinot Grigio, I lumped all together because yeah. they're all so the that, same that, price point. Yeah, so that's 5.9%. Sparkling wines closely followed at 57 mm-hmm. uh, And then after that, it is a complete mixed bag. Uh, excuse me. Grenache at 4.8. European Reds, 4.3. Um, Pinot, 2.2. Riesling, 1.9. And Rosé, 1%. Chardonnay, so, Chardonnay in there? Uh... Should have had Chardonnay. some sort of stat in there for Chardonnay. Chardonnay was, yeah, Chardonnay is 0.9. Ah, that's true. I thought that'd be more. So I say a lot of Chardonnay. Surprised that's so low. But yeah, there you go. That, remarkable anyway, listeners. That That is absolutely remarkable. Mate, well, before that, again, we... it's, a, it's a representation of here. Uh, Chardonnay percentage, there'd be a higher percentage of grape grapes grown than less than 1% of Australian vineyard could not be shown, no. True. Okay. I have got one one final um, question, a listener question, actually, for the show. If people want to get in contact with us, Luke Morris, how do they do that? Tell a friend. I think if you want to get in contact with us, Campbell and I are both really famous people. If you, if you speak to enough, enough people and say, do you listen to Luke's Talk Wine? And they'll eventually you'll find somebody who does, and they probably know us directly. So just, just go tell friends about the show. I think that's the best course of action you can do. Or you can Excellent. email <laughs> Luke's Talk Wine at gmail.com if you wanted to do that. And this week, Marg from Dover Heights in Dover Heights. Dover, Dover Heights is in Sydney, the eastern suburbs of Sydney. Marg writes. What do I do with the cap on the wine once I open it? Do I use it? Do I put it back or discard? That is a good question, Mark. Marg. Um, what do you do with the cap? A lot of a lot of the days, you know, midweek when you're opening midweek bottles uh, and you're not using uh, unbottled wines, one of our recent sponsors, you would have a cap on your wine or a still of enclosure. Is it important, Luke Morris from our benefit is important to put that cap straight back on so the wine doesn't oxidize or do you just turf it because you're never going to see it again what do you do with that cap 
<laughs> you're never gonna you're never gonna see that on the bottle again. Once it's opened, everything's gone. Just turn the turn the world upside down. Your way. Um. Oh, it depends on what you want to do. I don't. I don't really quite understand the question. Well, is, well is I question guess meaning, you know, with... what, uh, you got if you're going to reseal the bottle, use the cap. If you're not going to reseal the bottle, don't. But I think this is a question. <laughs> I took this, and this is what's great about Luke's Talk Wine. You get two different perspectives. I took the question uh, about a preservation. Like, is it, it, it is my wine deteriorating as soon as I've taken the cap off? Is my wine deteriorating? First question for Marg's benefit. Oh, not terribly quickly. So you gotta you got to do some work to get oxygen into the bottle. Yeah. So it's not, it's, not, it's not the end of the world to take the cap off but you should you should put the cap back on if you're not it is better to put the cap back on once you if you're only going to have pour the glass and then yeah because because the 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 more you empty out of the bottle the wider the surface area gets to be exposed by oxygen and the faster it will uh this disintegrates not the right word what's the term i'm looking for the faster it deteriorates Deteriorate is the word I'm looking for, Luke Morris. Thank you very much. You're so, right. Mark, yeah, it is important to use that. Um, it is important to use the cap. Some people would say, yes, put it straight back on and save the wine from deterioration. Others would say, leave it off for, you know, while you're consuming, just to let it aerate as okay. well. So it's it's really, um, Mark, it's, it's really up for you. But if you're just having one or two glasses uh, you know, a, a night, and you're not trying some unbottled wines, premium in out of the box. Yes, put the cap on, preserve your wine. Good question, you know though, I, Mark. Do you know what I did the other night? Was yeah, uh, poured half the bottle because I knew I was going to use half the bottle, and I had all not not all not to myself. I was just mentioned, but half the bottle into a, a milk jug. And the other half, I just put the cap back on and put back on the bench. And so I had the decanter half full and that. And I knew that if I wanted to um, have more that night, which I didn't, but if I did, I'd just unscrew the cap and throw some more in the milk jug and uh, away she goes. Mm. Uh, Another great friend of mine, he always used to, he, he had one single half bottle. It was actually a half bottle of like Kuyong Chardonnay, I think, with a Stelvin closure on it. And he used to do exactly that, but put it in a half bottle. So there was little to no surface area. So he'd pull half the bottle out into his milk jug and then store the rest of it in a half bottle closed with a Stelvin oh. closure on it. Uh, and because there's little to no surface area then exposed to wine, uh, to oxygen, uh, it used to preserve it longer. That was a very canny move. Um, Half bottles, bring them back, man. Yeah, bring them back. Um, if you want to know more about half bottles, stay tuned to the Vinify website, actually, because in the coming weeks, we'll um, we're going to do we'll do a blog and maybe even an offer on the back of that about half bottles. Oh. So if you want, le- leading into, if you want to know more about what we do at Vinified, log on to our website, www.vinified.com.au just to see what we're up to. But 
I've been Luke Campbell. He's been Luke Morris. This mm-hmm. has been Luke's Talk Wine. You can find me, Luke Campbell, out there um, on the socials. I'm at vinified underscore wine underscore services. He's Luke Morris. Where can we find you, Luke Morris? Um, sometimes running around. Yeah, you asked me how my Noosa one went. Uh, yes, uh, yes. I aimed for sub 90 minutes. I got um, 88.57. So well boom, done, boom, you. boom, half marathon. So off to Berlin is the next big stretch. Watch this space. You, you'll find yeah. me running around all over the place. I am on the move. Go, go, go. <laughs> that is excellent behavior. But for now, this has been Luke's Talk Wine, Season 4, Episode 3, devoted to Mick Nippard. Rest in peace, Mick. Cheers, mate. Bye for now. It can be really hard to justify opening a bottle of wine from the cellar on a Tuesday night when all you want is one glass. And that's why we've started Unbottled Wines. We're delivering seasonally curated, ultra-premium wines from acclaimed Australian winemakers. These are wines that have never before seen the inside of a box and may never again. Why a box? Because the box keeps wine fresh for up to 40 days after it's opened, unlike the bottle, which goes off after three or four. So if you would like to be able to drink exceptional wine one glass at a time, check out Unbottled Wines. Use the code VINIFIED at checkout and save 10%.